These are my confessions, the iced coffee confessions with Suzette. Hello, loves. Welcome to the Iced Coffee Confessions with me, your host, Suzette. We are well into 2019, and I'm so excited to begin just a series of conversations with some pretty dynamic folks um, to kick off our year. In 2019, I want us to do more talking about things that are a little bit taboo in our community, but things that impact all of us in very unique ways. And so I'm excited um, in this episode to be talking about something that we talk about all the time anyway, sex. And not just sex, talking about just being sex positive and sexual well-being and even taking it to another level and talking about intimacy. And to do that, y'all know that I believe in bringing in the experts because I'm only an expert in me, myself, and I. And so excited to have Ms. Courtney Hall with us today. Say hello to the people, Courtney. Hey, everybody. (laughs) Courtney is the founder of Sundara Intimacy. And so really excited to have her on our episode to talk to us more about just intimacy, how we become better lovers, better partners, because believe it or not, especially to my ladies, I know we have gentlemen that listen, we are in our primes. And so being at its prime time, I want to be the best (laughs) that I could possibly be. I know that you also want to be your best as well and taking sex therapy beyond a Robin Thicke song and to A real conversation is pretty dope to me. And so, Courtney, I want to start with, I kind of asked this question of everyone, but I'm going to ask this to you in a different way, because I think especially with the lens of thinking about um, just sexual health and sexual well-being and intimacy, um, it's some perspective, I think, that we're missing. And so I want to ask you, what do they forget to tell women about what life is like after 35? So. I thought about this question a lot because unlike a lot of women, I grew up in a household where my mother was constantly telling me about what life was like when you got older. It was always <laughs> like this thing. And I don't know if it's, you know, because she's Haitian and she didn't like to sugarcoat anything, but she definitely was always trying to get me ready for life as an adult and what people are going to say and how it's going to be. But I think one of the things that they don't tell you uh, is that life after 35 is really dominated by the idea that it's going to be okay and it doesn't matter. Mm. I think when you're so young, especially in your 20s, you're so focused on trying to prepare, women especially, we're told that we're trying to prepare, prepare, get ready, get ready, get ready. And then you reach post 35 and you look back at all of the things that you were in a frenzy about and it didn't really matter. You were okay. So I think that what's truly missing is that post 35 is where authenticity needs to live. Oh, you you better say that. You know how I feel about authenticity. Yes. (laughs) yes, Authenticity (laughs) needs to live and that can be difficult. So hopefully with people like you and myself helping people get to a place where they can glide into that 
space of knowing and being okay with themselves post 35, that's important. We serve a purpose. And I think what's interesting about that, Courtney, and what you just said in regards to authenticity is, right? Like a lot of times as people, we try to silo off or section off aspects of our being. And I think, right, why we sometimes see, unfortunately, deviance, especially when it comes to sex, is that we separate who we are from our sexual self. And how do you help people kind of resolve that authenticity and bringing more of like our sexual being and who we are as people from an intimate space into that kind of authentic fold? Because people like you said, compartmentalize their sexual selves versus who they see that they are. And the reality is who you are as a person dictates who you are sexually and vice versa. Mm-hmm. I and mean, if you think about it, how many people who you've met or how many partners, sexual partners have you had that were super confident in life and completely opposite when it came to their sexual behavior? There are a few exceptions, you know, where people project this idea of confidence and they're really not who they are. Because I was going to say, I know some people that I think right. they thought they were <laughs> confident. <laughs> right, right. And even so, moments right when I maybe think I thought I was confident and then you get there and you're like, ah, uh-uh. Exactly. So that's exactly, you just said it. You said you think you're confident. There's a difference between thinking it and knowing it. When you go to a dance recital or you've been practicing for this dance routine and you've got that dance down, when you get out on the stage, you're not wondering. You know you practice it and you just do it and you say where the chips will fall where they may. But I prepared and I practiced. And it's the same thing in life and in sexuality. If you have started, and I think this is for a lot of women, so ladies, hear me out on this. The way you start your sexual experiences really are going to dictate how the tone of what they are. So if you start Mm. your sexuality and your sexual experiences in trauma or in discomfort or unsure, then that's going to be the theme. You're going to enter into your sexual experiences from a place of being timid, from a place of being unsure, because that's all that you've known. And this is what happens, you know, Suzette, people, a lot of women, sex happens to them. Mm. Do you hear what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You're not as participatory as you would like because you have all of these things going on in your head about what it should be, what it shouldn't be. What is he expecting? What am I not giving? All of these things are going on. So again, now you are a passive participant in your sexual experience. A passive participant in your sexual experience. So how do you heal that? And I'm guessing that some of that work that you do with your clients, either through individual counseling or through couples counseling. Mm -hmm. And I want to name what I really appreciate about Courtney on her site. She calls them experiences. And so within an experience, how do you heal some of the initial trauma that folks enter sex with? Okay. So with my experiences, as you see, there's only one that I offer that's explicitly sexual. Nothing else that I offer through intimacy coaching is explicitly sexual. It can be used in conjunction with sex, but it can also be used by itself. And what I'm trying to do to get people to get to that confidence and to be comfortable is building up the intimacy and connection. And you can do that as an individual. I wrote a blog called Casual Intimacy Mm -hmm. that talks about how you can create a connection with a stranger. You know, so many of us think that 
being able to be comfortable in a sexual relationship or sexual experience means that I have to know this person on this deeper level, or we have to be in a certain type of relationship. But really working with individuals and helping people become comfortable with who they are allows room for authenticity. And within authenticity comes being present. Mm. And with becoming present in your sexual experience, now you feel more comfortable being more communicative with your partner. Why? Because you picked a better partner. Mm. A lot of times we're timid and we're scared because of the behaviors that the partner we have chosen has displayed that may have nothing to do with sex. So if I don't feel comfortable with my partner, then I'm going to not necessarily feel comfortable with myself. And I don't think a lot of people think of it that way. They always are so quick to put it on themselves. I need to be more comfortable. I need to take more charge of my sex life and all of these things, but it takes two. So now if I'm confident and comfortable, I'm going to pick a better partner. Mm. So that's how I work with my clients is really getting them comfortable with themselves and helping them understand that one part is me and the other part is the partner. So if I can be comfortable with myself and the way I carry myself, I'm going to now not only attract a certain type of partner, because let's keep it real, Suzette, everybody likes a beautiful woman. Everyone likes a confident person, even the raggedy. Wait, I'm sorry. I I don't agree with that point, because if you've lived in Northern California, like I've lived in Northern California, I don't know if I think they really like beautiful women, but this is what I know. But I'm going to let you finish, but I'm going to let you finish. (laughs) And and yes, I do have that California connection, so I I know exactly what you mean. Um, So let me say, everyone likes a confident lady. Uh, Everyone everyone that you want is going to be attracted to positive energy, right? Right. So... You don't necessarily, if you're walking around feeling confident in who you are, you're also not going to allow yourself to be treated in a certain way. So you're going to be weeding out a lot of people that may be detrimental to your sexual experience and your sexual growth. Mm. Does that make sense? Oh, that makes a ton of sense, right? I think, and I'm not saying this for myself, I'm saying it for a friend, right? Uh (laughs) But... Oh, you know, in your 20s, you was thotting and bopping, right? Um, For lack of a better term, right? And so not that you weren't using discernment, but a lot of the context in terms of like who you may have chosen for a sexual encounter or who you might have chosen for a partner changes, especially right as you come more fully into who you are. So I think that makes perfect sense. And you know, I think that being in your 20s, let me tell you this, as a woman post 35, I tell every young girl that I know who I see trying to be, and I'm about to age myself, you know, <laughs> this is family here. Every girl that I see trying to be Claire Huxtable. Oh, every girl from a certain background who wants to be the best girlfriend and get the best grades and do this. And I'm not doing that because that's for a thought. I'm not doing that because that's because of a loose woman, you know, or what have you. I would tell all those young girls, I want you to tap into your inner Rihanna. Mm. Okay. Because this is what makes post 35, post 30, that much better. All the young women who didn't experience life, now that we're older, Mm -hmm. I find a lot of them have missed out on a lot of the growth and experience that would lend itself to having more realistic expectations. Mm -hmm. Mm. So you haven't gone out there and, you know, perhaps did a walk of shame or perhaps had a friend that, you know. Still doing walks of shame. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Listen, if you haven't had these experiences, 
they're going to be foreign to you later on when the fall from grace is that much longer and harder. Right. When you're in your 20s, nobody's expecting you to have it all together. No one's asking a 21-year-old, well, give me your greatest financial advice because I can see how well you've done. I mean, that's not <laughs> what people are doing. I had a girlfriend of mine tell me she was in her 30s at the time and I was in my 20s. She said, in your 20s, you're trying. Mm-hmm. And in your 30s, you just are. Oh, and I, love You that. know what I'm saying? So I think that, you know, we come down hard on girls who are out here trying to be, you know, when I was in college, being a video girl and doing all those things. But what else are your 20s for besides learning who you are as a woman? And taking your journey the way that you take it. Safety is what matters. Right. But you're not going to be like, you haven't lived enough to know these super mature lessons that you're supposed to have. When we look at these women who may have had their 20s taken from them, Mm -hmm. what ends up happening? They get in their 40s and they in the club, they're trying to reconnect to something that was 20 years ago. Right. Because they didn't have the experience. So it's important, I think, you know, to have these experiences so that when you do get post 35, you have a greater understanding of what this thing looks like. Agreed. I think what's funny about what you said, right, is there is this belief that to have it all together young mm-hmm. means to have it right. You mm-hmm. know, like, and I always say on the podcast, right, like every single experience I've had has been a lesson that has grown me to something else, right? And and it's not mm-hmm. pooing on like the folks that choose to get married earlier or the people that have like just taken a very like straight and narrow route. What it does mean is that there's a different set of lessons that people have and a different sense of understanding that people have when they've chosen to maybe take a more discovery focused lens, right? Yes, yes. You know, and I will say this, and this is going to be very unpopular, but again, you know, you got to look at your experiences, experiences of people around you. And then I look at clients that I've had and the people that get married young, those individuals, for a lot of those relationships to sustain themselves, and we've heard it you know, many times, but it's true. These are individuals that make, first and foremost, beyond love, beyond anything, they decide to stay together first and foremost. Mm. That's the decision. It ain't got nothing to do with love, nothing like that. because. You love takes on different forms for different people. The desire to stay together in a marriage is what keeps individuals together. So that's number one. Number two, for a lot of people that get married young and then they get divorced later or they have marital problems later, they almost all of them cite in some form or fashion their wings being clipped. Mm. Because when you're so young and you're still figuring out who you are, now you have to honor this other person. And at the time, it may be great. But you haven't had all these different life experiences thrown at you to test who you are as a person. And the person who you were at 25 is not going to be the person that you are at 30. Listen, the person I was at 36 is not the person I am <laughs> at 37. So, <laughs> Thank you. Exactly. This It's hurtful to say in a little bit, right? Because you do want to see your friends, especially people that you love and your family members win. But I I feel like can count on one hand how many people I know that got married like super young. And by super young, when I say like 25 and younger that are Mm -hmm. still married now. Yeah. Yeah. And do you know, and let's take it one step further. I want you to look at those people that got married at 25 and younger and look at their social circle, look at what you think their expectations were, because let me tell you something very clear. If I went to my Haitian mother and said, mommy, I'm getting married. And I was 21. She'd say, 
no, you're not. Go sit down. <laughs> My Jamaican mother would have said the same thing. Like, you didn't go to med school, law school, grad school. Away I go. Come back. <laughs> like, you know how Haitians get, oh, oh, who's getting married? So not you. <laughs> so I think, again, there's this prevailing wisdom that says, you know, listen, live a little. Figure out who you are as a person first. And then decide if this is the way you want to go, because marriage is an all-encompassing thing. But I also think the flip side to that is when you're in your 20s, that's exactly how you look at marriage. The older you get, the more that idea of what marriage is and what a relationship is, it metamorphosizes into something that if you were to put it at, present it to yourself in your 20s, you would have been like, uh-uh, that's not what I want. <laughs> but, you know, when you're in your 20s, you haven't lived, you don't have nothing. Now, all of a sudden, when you're in your 20s, you're like, uh, prenup, horrible. Now you're in your 30s, you're like, well, you know what? If you coming in here with a duffel bag, you're going to leave with this duffel bag and not this Gucci luggage that I had. Listen, if, if I you came weren't... in here with some rice and peas, I'm leaving here with <laughs> some rice and peas. Okay. okay. You weren't shooting in the gym. Okay. <laughs> I love you. But let me tell you something. I've seen too many people go down this road for me to be standing on the side looking like Erica Badu with the bag lady. And guess what? You pick the right partner. He or she is not going to have a problem with that because they have stuff to protect. Maybe this is their second marriage. Mm. You know, they learned their lesson. Again, we are post 35. Life looks different. Right. Second wives club. Sign me up. Hello. I want you to get your (laughs) mistakes out of the way with that first one. Hello. Yes. Knock out your kinks. And you know, Courtney, I want to switch lanes really quickly. And why this kind of rises to the top for me is because I recently um, started watching um, Killer Mike's show on Netflix called Trigger Warning. And in the episode where he is trying to figure out how to give vocational education to people, he goes and visits a a sex therapist, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And I wanted you to explain to folks what it means to be sex positive, because in the episode... He went to her specifically because she's able to like facilitate sex positive conversations and interactions. And so what does it mean to be sex positive? So to be sex positive means to look at sex and sexuality from a beneficial and throughout and without the lens of shame. Mm. Okay. So a lot of times we shame people and, and we shame their sexual behaviors. And what being sex positive is, it's about being accepting, it's about being safe, and it's about understanding that everyone has different things that they enjoy sexually. However, what happens between two consenting adults is perfectly normal and healthy if both adults consent and they are free from force or anything like that. So for instance, looking at like, if you saw in the episode, she made it very clear that she wanted people to feel like they were in control of what was happening. Mm -hmm. So like, if you look at a lot of pornography, you see a lot of victimology in there. You see a lot of women that are not necessarily or marginalized individuals, okay? So it could be women, it can be members of the LGBTQ community that are being that are being put in situations where they seem to be or are being victimized as if their needs aren't being met, as if stereotypes are being played out. So to be sex positive, which is as you saw in the episode, she wanted to make sure that these people had a voice, that they were active participants in choosing how they were going to be viewed and how they were going to behave. So that's where sex positive comes from and what it is. Gotcha. And let's talk about Sundara, right? And your practice, right? And how you weave some of that sex positive 
framing into how you engage and interact with your clients. And I want to tie in earlier part of this conversation, right? Because talking about confidence and who you are, how do you help people to come to a place of being much more sex positive? You have to do the therapeutic work. First of all, you have to find out of where people's ideas of sexuality come from. What is true to them? What does it mean to be sexual to them? Because it means different things to different people. And once you start to unpack at the root of everything is self-esteem. When you work on someone's self-esteem, everything flows from that. When I work with clients and I hear about what their ideas are about what does sex mean to you? What is a healthy sexual interaction to you? Once they answer those questions for me, then I have a direction on where to go to. Because people's idea of sex and sexuality comes from a multitude of places. And if your only frame of reference is pornography and lies your friends told you, now, (laughs) you know, let's be clear, lies your friends told you, now I want to know what those lies were. How did that impact your sexuality? And do you believe those things true? I'll give you an example. I had a client who said to me, and he had said this to me for a while, you know, sex wasn't such a big deal. It wasn't Mm. a big deal to him. I said, well, what is that? Well, what does that mean? And he said, because I have a small penis. And I said, okay, so what makes you say that you have a small penis? Like, why do you feel that way? And he was talking about how from childhood, he's always heard women talking about nine inch penises. and I don't want it if it's too small and this, this and that. And his penis was five and a half inches long. And he felt like that was small. And the way that that impacted him is he carried that through every relationship or experience or interaction with a woman that he had. Mm. He would try to avoid having sex. His attitude towards dating women was that from a very timid perspective, because he always thought, you know, listen, it's going to come a time where I have to have sex. And if she sees this quote unquote small penis I have, she's not going to want to deal with me. So I'm not even going to go for the girl that I really, really like, because I don't want to disappoint her. It affected how he saw himself in the grand scheme of things when it came to work. And how other men carried themselves, he didn't carry himself with a certain level of confidence. And that impacted how he was viewed at work. So saying all that to say, when working with him, I had to unpack these ideas of sexual perfection, you know, uh, phallic symbols and what those things meant. And then we had to break down anatomy and talk about, you know, the average female vagina is only like three to five inches long. Like it's so if a woman wants a man with a nine inch penis. That may lend itself to pain, (laughs) you know? And then from a woman's perspective, since we're talking about this in sexual confidence, as a woman, if you've been told that you need to be able to, quote unquote, take a nine inch dick, Mm -hmm. and now every time you have sex with this guy, it hurts, that pain has been what normalized to you. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's supposed to be this painful because all women are supposed to bigger is better. And that is not true. Everybody's body is different and we're not equipped to handle those kinds of things. If that was the case, most men's penis would be nine inches, but they're not, okay? The average penis is five to six inches long. It's not even seven. If you have a nine inch penis, you're special. (laughs) (laughs) You're above average, sir. You are. So just the idea that we've been normalized to think like that's what every man should have and that's what every woman should want. This is how I get my clients that come to me and we have to unpack all of these lies. Well, I would say, right, going back to where we get some of these lies from, if you're not getting the lies from your friends, we absolutely were getting these from Cosmo magazine. 
You know what I always found was interesting too is that Costco would have all these articles written by women about how to make your man go crazy, what a man really wants. And none of them were written by men. Not one is ever written by a man. So I want to hear what he has to say was going to make him go crazy. Not you, lady. <laughs> well, I also she- think, too, like Cosmo Magazine, I think they created a narrative around some of the things, like even the Kama Sutra, that were untrue. And so what I really also appreciate about your practice is, like, you try to, like, re-spiritualize and reground us and how the Tao, the Kama Sutra, and also Tantra are really, like, foundational, right? It's like mm-hmm. building, like, a strong, um, intimate relationship as well as like a strong sexual relationship so can you talk us through a little bit about like how those three practices actually set the tone and the framing for like a very like healthy sex life okay so number one as i said before partner selection is number one you have to feel comfortable with who you're with because now that we're creating we're making a conscious effort being conscious and being intentional it goes hand in hand with picking a good partner Now that we're conscious and intentional of picking the partner that we're picking, now what we're going to do is be a lot more verbally communicative. Like we talked about earlier, when sex happens to you, you are a passive participant. Post 35, you're picking a different type of partner because you're going to be considering being intentioned in this person's personality and do you feel safe with them? Now let's talk about sex. We're going to have a conversation. So if I'm working with an individual Because the way I work with individuals and couples is slightly different. When I'm working with an individual and we're doing the intimacy coaching that involves the Tao, the Kama Sutra, and all those things, I am their partner. So they now are working with me and they're giving me everything that they would give their partner. When I'm working with a couple, I am their guide Mm -hmm. in helping them. So first of all, we start with loving communication. And loving communication just means caring for the person. Post-35, I don't want any of you women having sex with people who you don't like. And when I say like, (laughs) yes, because that's the thing. When I say like, I don't mean you want to run off and you don't necessarily want to run off into the sunset and get married with them. But I mean, having positive feelings towards the person. This could be a person that you just met at a bar. And that's what I really want people to adjust their minds to. There are so many times that we make connections in places and we feel comfortable with people. Again, because we're older, we've learned. You can kind of pick up on somebody's personality pretty quickly because you've been conversing since the 80s. Mm-hmm. So you meet these people, you have these authentic connections. And Sundara helps people kind of pick up on that. So you pick up your authentic connection. Then you have a loving conversation about sex, sexuality, who you are, what you like. If you can't talk about it, then you probably won't do it well. So we need to be able to have this conversation about intention and about how we want our partner to feel. Once we can have this communication, once we've picked a good partner, once we have the communication, now it leaves the door open for sexual experimentation. Mm. You know, I work with the clients. We talk about that. Once a client tells their partner, and this is extremely important, once you tell your partner, my intention for you in this experience is to feel safe, is to feel loved, and for me to learn your body and what you like. Once your partner puts that out there and we begin the experience, now the other person isn't going into it thinking, I hope she likes this or what if I don't do this right? Because now you told them my intention is to make you feel good. And now your partner can say, okay, well, you know what? I really like it when you do this. And now that person's ego isn't bruised because they didn't go into the experience thinking they know this person. 
Mm. I think that's a big problem that we have, which is everybody needs to go into these experiences with a clean slate. So many of us, when we have sex with somebody, we're just doing the same thing we did with the last person. And we, you know, never even ask if they liked it or whatever. We're just waiting for the shoe to drop or maybe they'll say something, maybe they won't. Can you imagine if your partner said to you, Suzette, my intention for you is for you to feel pleasure and for you to be happy and safe with me. So what could I do to make you feel that way in this experience? What would that mean for you? Girl. (laughs) Girl, I would have to keep them. Because I've been literally like sitting here and thinking about, have I ever had that conversation? And I'm not Mm going to be out here counting for anybody because y'all not going to judge me on my own podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But I can say, I don't think, I'm 100% sure I've never had anybody say like, this is my intention for this interaction. Now, if you think about it, if you knew someone's intention, because let's be clear about a lot of us. A lot of us use sex as a tool. We withhold sex. I don't want him to not like me or just think that I'm just here for that. So I'm going to withhold something. Or we use sex to get somebody. I'm going to put it on him and it's going to be this. Like we already go into it with our own agendas for a lot of us. Mm -hmm. So for your only agenda to have a positive experience, having that conversation can open the door. Now, this is another thing that. But I have a question real quick, right? How woke does your partner have to be to receive that, right? So uh-huh. let's say I'm the person that has been getting your wonderful and amazing like coaching and therapy and services, right? So I've been going through the experiences to grow myself as a partner uh-huh. and I meet a new partner. Yeah. Right? Like how woke? <laughs> <laughs> like, so, so like, hey boy, my intention, right? Like I, and I, I don't want to no. m- minimize it, right? No, no. Like, How aware does that person have to be, right? But again, to your point, if I'm being, hold on, let me walk back through the lessons you've been teaching me, Courtney. If I've been thoughtful about who, Mm -hmm. then I should have been picking a partner that understands intention and can receive it, right? Yes. Uh, Yeah. Come on, learn it. Yes. Do you see why it becomes, this is why it becomes challenging because I'm going to tell you something that I learned a long time ago. If you date like you're supposed to, you wouldn't be going out very often. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's hard mm. to stick to your guns in terms of I'm only going to date or pick partners that are X, Y, and Z. But the older you get, the less time you have to waste and the more that that becomes easier. But when you're younger, you don't think of it that way because if I dated everybody who was supposed to court me the way that they were supposed to, then Friday nights would be kind of slim and nil or everybody would be ugly. Like, that's what you think. But as you get older and you pick partners, first of all, if you're a communicative person, you're going to pick someone that likes to communicate. There are plenty of men and women that are older that want to have valuable conversations because here's another thing. Most of my clients are women and I really, really like working with men. I've had a few male clients, but you have to break through a certain barrier. Like a man has to feel like, I need this to go to this. A lot of times our society, especially men of color, Mm -hmm. our society doesn't create an environment that makes it seem okay or even beneficial for men of color to explore this part of themselves. 
I mean, if you listen to music or anything, you hear a lot of these younger men of color just talk about the best thing that they have to offer is their sexuality. Mm -hmm. And if you know, like I know, I don't know that many dudes in their 20s who their sex game is all that. Mm-mm. Okay? Mm-mm. So they're uncomfortable with themselves too. So like, to your point about how woke does he have to be, you know, this has to be somebody who thinks that sex and intimacy is important. And a lot of people do not understand how to communicate the importance of sex and intimacy without sounding like a creep. Because you hear a lot of women, I have friends, I'm sure you have friends, that really do intentionally or unintentionally demonize sexual behavior right. because of their discomfort. Right. So when you're talking about being able to communicate with your partner about how woke does he has to be, like you said, picking, being intentional up front, the same way that you were like, woohoo, child, that would be the same way a man would be, because I've done it. Nobody ever asks a man what he wants. Mm. Nobody. Don't. Haven't. (laughs) No. How can I make you feel good, daddy? Like, nobody's doing that. They're like, okay, my back hurts. Just do it to me. (laughs) I'm a pro on my side. And you can just do it to me. Or, once again, just receiving what he's giving. And he's hoping that it's working out. Because you didn't say anything. So, he guesses it's okay. Mm. So, It is a challenge. And that's one of the things that I'm hoping doing things like your podcast will help, which is make it okay for men to seek out information. So are you saying, well, it explains a lot, right? In terms of, you know, folks out here not getting and giving feedback in terms of like a specific interaction or how they're going into the interaction. And so you are saying, right, like we would all be in a better place romantically if we apply this same type of intention to not only the sexual aspect of the relationship, but then also just the whole idea and notion of how we're dating and ending up in these relationships. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so many women and men are meticulous about what they put in their bodies, about what they put on their bodies, but they're not as meticulous when it comes to picking a partner. And it becomes a reflection of you. And that's why you have to do the work on yourself. If right. you do the work on yourself, your partner's going to be reflective of that. Mm. Listen, you out, you out here <laughs> dropping these truth bombs. I'm like, wait, I don't, do I need to go lay down on the couch and have you just talk <laughs> specifically and directly to me? I'm sorry. I know that this podcast is for all, but I'm like, hmm, because, you know, I, I do think too, right? Like the older I get, like, and I can just be very transparent. I will go like long periods of time not having sex because I mm-hmm. find myself just being more thoughtful about, do I want to have that exchange of energy with this person? Does it yeah. make sense? Do I want to share space and time in my body with that person? And so it can yeah. go upwards of like, Almost two years just not having sex with people. Although, like, you might, like, date and hang out. Now I feel like I don't want to go that long anymore. (laughs) Okay. I was say, right, like, if if your love language, right? So, like, pulling in love languages and love your, like, reactions to how love languages play into um, how you work with clients. But, like, Mm -hmm. one of my love languages is physical touch, right? And, like, one of the highest forms of physical touch is actually sex. Right. And so I think especially as we become older, it's even more important that those instances of physical touch be meaningful. Right. Mm -hmm. Because it is my love language. Yes. And so how do the love languages play into how you work with folks? Or do you find like that has any kind of implications for the sexual relation, sexual health and intimacy? Oh, gosh. So listen, 
I am a fan of the love languages. I use it with all my clients because I want them to understand and know how they receive love. Yep. You can't be loving somebody the way you want to love them and then wonder why it's not working. You have to love people the way that they are loved. So in using and working with the love languages, because a lot of times people don't know what their love language is, once they figure it out, they start to connect the dots about things and then that makes it more meaningful to them. So for instance, if your love language is acts of service and gifts, and my love language is physical touch and words of affirmation, if I'm sitting here trying to have sex with you every day, but I don't help you do the laundry, I'm not fulfilling your love language. So when we have conflict or when you feel unfulfilled in the relationship and I say to you, well, I make love to you every night. I'm trying to physically connect with you. Why don't you think that I love you? Or why isn't that enough? Well, because physical touch isn't part of that person's love language. That's not how they receive love. Once again, love people and show people our affection for them the way that they receive it. Gotcha. So mine are Mm -hmm. physical touch and quality time. Oh, those are mine too. (laughs) (laughs) So... Being naked in the bed all day is just perfect, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But again, taking into consideration, right, because physical touch is one of mine and quality time is one of mine. Because also, too, like people hear quality time and think it's that you want to be together all the time. And I'm like, no, that's not what it is. What I want it to be is when we do spend time together, I want it to have purpose and meaning and feel great to both of us, right? So people also yeah. misinterpret um, that all of the time. Absolutely. And that's exactly what it is. And physical touch does not always mean sex. For a lot of people, there comes a time, especially in the, as my mother would say, the winter of your life, where mobility isn't what it used to be. You physically may not be able to have sex, but that doesn't mean that you don't stop holding hands. That doesn't mean that you stop rubbing each other on the back. That doesn't mean that the intimacy and the touch stop. So just to your point about people being able to expand what they think about things like physical touch or quality time, those things change with time and with bodies and with life. Man. Mm-hmm. So Courtney, I kind of want to wrap up our conversation sure. with you explaining to people, because I think what you have schooled us, right, <laughs> on today is the fact that I'm not going to say all of us, but most of us are not acting with like the purest of intention and not that we're being malicious, but not even being intentional with ourselves. Right. But what would you want someone listening to this episode to walk away with knowing and understanding about real intimacy? Number one, you matter. You matter. And being intimate is a choice. So making sure that you walk into it with an open heart with an open mind and with a positive spirit should be the only way you should be walking into these experiences. There's no such thing as normal. There's what a lot of people do, but there's no such thing as normal. So if you go two years without having sex and you find that you're productive or you're doing other things and it's not necessarily bothering you, that's not abnormal. If you want to have sex every day, that's not abnormal. So just finding what's right for you, that's what I want people to walk away from and be true to yourself in Mm. that. Yeah. Mm. Courtney, thank you so much for that. 
just important lesson. I would say I, it was a lesson for me. <laughs> I, we need to go and book something through this site. Could you tell our listeners just how they get in touch with you and a quick high level overview of some of the other services that you offer? So my website is sundaraintimacy.com and you can reach me there. You can email me. You can set up your appointments. I list all my experiences and basically I do intimacy coaching using practices from Chinese Tao, Tantra, and the Kama Sutra. And it's more so focused on connecting. I also do individual counseling and therapy. So if you're interested in just therapy, helping you live your most authentic and intentional life, you can also go to my website, Courtney R. Hall, C-O-U-R-T-R-H-A-L-L, hall.com, and book a session with me for personal life guidance. But yeah, so I do everything from physical intimacy coaching, where we'll do synchronized breathing, loving and intentional speech, mutual massage, connection to intimacy counseling. If you have concerns around sex and sexuality that may be bleeding into your everyday life, let's talk about those things. Let's get you comfortable. Sometimes we have desires that we think are abnormal and they're really not. I'm here to help people usher them through this journey. So all of that information is on both websites. Awesome. Thank you, Courtney. And I typically like to end my episodes with a segment I call a little bit of tea. Um, And what that is, is advice that you give to your younger self. Um, Any advice that you'd give to your younger self? Because I know what I want to say after listening to you, but would love to hear what you would tell pre-35 Courtney. You know what? Have more fun. I was so intense when I was younger, because once again, of this cloud of what I should be based on where I came from. And I didn't allow myself certain liberties that I wish I would have. So it doesn't matter, Courtney. Do it. Eat the cake. (laughs) Eat the cake, cake. Courtney. Eat the cake. Eat the cake, Courtney. It's going to be all right. I think the the little bit of tea I give myself, um, just based on this really important conversation, especially like my my mind and heart keep um, going back to the piece around intention would be really simple. It's tell them what you want. Girl, oh, I'm shut up and let you tell it. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> and tell them what you want now, right now, <laughs> right now. <laughs> He is nastier than you will ever be. So just tell him. He's with it. I promise. (laughs) Oh, Lord. And with that, I would like to thank everyone for listening to this episode of the Ice Coffee Confessions. Talk to you later, loves. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Iced Coffee Confessions. We'd love to stay in touch with you. You can find us on social media via Facebook at Ice Coffee Confessions or on Instagram at The Real Iced Coffee Confessions. See you soon.